Hi, I'm Jason Wacob, founder and co-CEO of MindBuddyGreen and your host for the MindBuddyGreen podcast, where I'll be bringing you deep and insightful dialogues with some of the greatest minds in wellness. If you like what you hear, please consider giving us a five-star review and comment. And don't forget to visit us at mindbuddygreen.com for your daily dose of wellness and make sure to check out all of our great offerings, including our online classes and trainings. Thanks and enjoy the podcast. Desiree Nielsen is a registered dietitian based in Vancouver, British Columbia. She runs a nutrition consulting practice with a focus on inflammation, digestion, and plant-centered diets. She's also the host of TV's Urban Vegetarian and the best-selling author of the new plant-based cookbook, Eat More Plants. You gotta love a title like that. Desiree, welcome. Thank you so much. It's so great to have you here all the way from Vancouver. All the way in the big city. (laughs) Vancouver to Brooklyn. I love it. So how would you describe your food philosophy? My food philosophy is actually really simple, and it is about simplicity. It's eat as many single-ingredient whole plant foods as humanly possible, and don't sweat the rest unless you have some sort of therapeutic need to do so. Just like Michael Pollan said, eat food, not too much, mostly plants. Yeah, and he was never a huge fan of dietitians, and I think it was because people can often see us as being that nutritionism, right? Like it's all about the calories, the sodium, the fat grams, but really whole food is where it's at. And, you know, we are spending, you know, decades researching, you know, what's still in a blueberry. We still don't get it. You know, it's like this universe within. And so if we stick to whole foods, we're always going to be better. Well, I love it. I feel like RDs are making a big comeback. <laughs> well, and it's it's the idea that I think, you know, we, we in our history, we came from the hospital kitchens and that very home ec and we you know, as a profession had to grow up and become science-based and evidence-based in order to kind of gain our place in the medical establishment. But now I think we realize that it is about coming full circle. There is nothing without the question, what do I put on my dinner plate at 5 p.m.? You know, there is no nutritional compliance if we don't know how to cook for ourselves and make these foods happen on a daily basis. Well, I think, too, with regards to RDs, there's kind of like the old school RD, which is like the macros and a little like out dated, if you will, with regards to the type of way you just described of eating, like plant-based and so forth. And some of the things you hear like from like an uh, old school RD totally. school of thought is make you cringe. Yeah. And you know, like I came into university, you know, with like my Dr. Andrew Weil books under my arm, <laughs> like integrative medicine is going to change the world. And I was nervous, especially back then it was like, you know, in the like early 2000s. And I was like, is this going to be accepted? Is this kind of nutrition? But I think at the end of the day, dietitians are about evidence-based nutrition and the evidence is here. Mm -hmm. I love it. We can no longer ignore it. So going, drilling into your food philosophy, what foods do you tell people you work with? Okay. Enjoy. And then the flip side, which foods you say, let's try to avoid these when possible. So, you know, what I want, I want people to eat more plants. So more fruits, more vegetables, uh, more legumes and nuts and seeds. And I think that's a big one. Like fruits and vegetables, we kind of get, but like, what do we do with a chickpea? You know, what do we do with a sunflower seed? So really helping my clients get more of those foods into their diet on a daily basis. And I'm not about like no carb. I'm not about like demonizing any food group whatsoever because I think there's a lot of danger in that, particularly with our relationship around food. But I would say in terms of philosophy, I do tend to lean away from the more high starch refined foods 
when we're talking about inflammation, we have to keep our blood sugars balanced. So eating a ton of bread is probably not the best idea. It can fit. Um, but lower your added sugars, lower your refined flours, and even just flours in general in, term, in favor of like the whole grains, a grain of millet, a wheat berry if you're not mm-hmm. uh, having issues with gluten. So keep it whole and all the other stuff should be peripheral. So you mentioned some of my favorite categories and let's drill into them. So we've got vegetables, we've got fruits, we've got nuts, we've got legumes or it was like lectins. Yes. Within those groups, what are your what are some of your favorite foods? So, you know, at risk of sounding like a cliche, I'm kale for life. <laughs> I think the deep green leafy vegetables really have an impact on how people feel. They're extremely energizing. Um, you know, getting more of those bitter vegetables in. So having that kale, having the uh, the radicchio, uh, rapini, all of those flavors are, are excellent because it's a, a taste that's missing in our diet in favor of hyper salty, hyper sweet foods, really balancing for the digestion. Um, I like that you said radicchio. Yeah. Usually people go straight kale, spinach, broccoli. They go to the real safe, the safe dark greens. No. Radicchio, I like. And I don't want people to have fun because I think, you know, when when you think about therapeutic nutrition or anti-inflammatory nutrition, like you think of it being functional. I don't want to eat a bad meal. You know, like you should explore this kind of nutrition with the same sense of play you would any other culinary pursuit. So try those vegetables you've never tried before. Like get, if you don't know what to do with that jar of tahini, like figure it out. That's what the internet is for. (laughs) And so, okay, so we got our greens. Now let's move on to the other categories. We've got nuts, we've got fruits. Um, I use a lot of cashews because cashews are the reason why I could ditch dairy so happily. You know, they just make these beautiful creams that are really satisfying and they're very versatile. I probably snack on almonds the most. Um, That crunch, I think a lot of the time in snacking, we're just looking for that crunch and almonds do a really beautiful job of that. Um, One of the foods that I eat probably every day without fail is hemp hearts. I think if I were to choose one, hemp hearts really do it for me because they're so easy to add to almost any meal. Hemp hearts. Hemp hearts. And three tablespoons of hemp hearts will give you 10 grams of plant-based protein, which is remarkable in such a small amount. They're also really high in minerals. And because we have such hyper-processed diets, it's the minerals we tend to lack. And our immune system needs those minerals. Um, The magnesium that helps us chill out and keep that gut-brain connection in balance. Mm -hmm. There's tons of magnesium in them, tons of manganese, which is important for cellular energy. So they're just a really nutrient-dense food that are super simple to get into your everyday diet. And what about fruits? All are good, but the berries, we have so much research to tell us that those berries with their high fiber, with, you know, their um, pigments. Polyphenols. Yeah, the polyphenols. um, We just know that they're very strongly anti-inflammatory food and they keep your blood sugar in balance too. So if you really love fruit and like to eat a lot of it, berries are probably your best bet along with the more temperate things like apples and pears. So you mentioned cashews, so it sounds like you're pretty on board with lectins. I am. Which which I like. Well, and, you know, I'm a plant-based person, right? And so, of course, you know, we got to be down with lectins. Otherwise, we're going to starve to death. (laughs) And I think, you know, the whole lectin, and I've been in private practice for a long time, and I deal with people with a lot of fibromyalgia, a lot of gut barrier dysfunction. And I think in 11 years of practice, I've had two people 
that seemed to truly, when you remove those lectins from their diet, it did speed up their healing too in all that time. And so I really, you know, something that gets my back up as a dietitian is when any real food or component of a real food is demonized as being dangerous for all. We're all completely unique and we have unique physiologies and unique health profiles. And so while I love for people to eat plant-based, I have clients that a completely plant-based diet isn't going to work for them. They Mm -hmm. have Crohn's disease. They can't handle all that fiber right now. They need to get that protein somewhere else. So it is about doing the basics, you know, moving down that anti-inflammatory pathway, but there's always customization because you are unique. Amen to that. I love that. So on board with plant-based, and you mentioned some people need some protein in there that's Mm. maybe animal-based or comes from different sources. I'm one of those people. What's your take in terms of eggs, fish, meat, dairy? Yeah, you know, and I think they're all... They're all choices that we make ourselves. And so, you know, from an environmental perspective, it makes a lot of sense to eat, you know, fewer animal products unless you have it available and affordable to you to eat grass-fed, pastured, you know, like when it's raised the right way. Um, That's not affordable or available to a lot of people, which is why the plant-based proteins are such a great option. Um, There's the ethical question, and people have to make that decision for themselves. But otherwise, as a dietitian, in terms of your health, eggs fit fish fits. It all fits. It's about how much of those foods are you eating versus the plants. So if 80% of your food is plants, what are, that other 20% is your own business. <laughs> from So from an RD's perspective, how do you rank them in terms of nutrition? Yeah. Like something people will say, I, I've heard is smash. Smash. Okay. That is? No. So ranking seafood, um, Salmon, mackerel, anchovies, sardines, and herring. The cold water, oily. Yeah, Yeah. like they're the best for you in terms of omegas and just general health. Like in terms of if we're taking fish as a category, like stick to smash. Yeah. Scallops, not in smash. Lobster, not in smash. Like. Oh, I love that. I love a good acronym. I haven't heard yeah. that one anymore. Yeah. I definitely think if we were looking at nutrient density, um, but even environmental impacts sometimes, I think those cold water, omega-3 rich uh, seafood are a really great place to start. Um, you know, I think eggs can absolutely fit in there. I love a good pastured egg for people, mm-hmm. um, more so than what we see because the food, particularly for an animal food, their food becomes the food. And so one of the reasons why meat is off the table largely in an anti-inflammatory diet, like the red meats, is we think so much about saturated fat, and there's the research going back and forth on that. Mm-hmm. Um, Every day. I know, and the microbiome, <laughs> the microbiome is the angle that people aren't talking about with saturated fat, but that's a whole other thing. But we don't talk about omega-6s in our livestock, because how are we typically fattening them up and getting them ready for market? It is by feeding grain. And so their tissues are accumulating those omega-6 fats. So when we eat most standard meats, we are getting saturated fat. We're also getting a lot of omega-6. And so- Which is what you don't want. It's what you you don't don't want. You don't want that bad three to six ratio. No, and we we need omega-6. They're an essential fatty acid. So we can't completely demonize them. It's just that in our food supply, we are awash in omega-6, and there are so few omega-3s competing for those metabolic pathways that we need to clear out those concentrated sources of omega-6. So we have room for the cashews and the sunflower seeds and the like. I love cashews. I am definitely on board with that. (laughs) So with regards to protein in a plant-based diet, 
lots happening right now in the uh, I'd say the fake meat world because it's not necessarily plant based, but you know between Beyond and Impossible, mm-hmm. um, controversial in the mind body green world. Some people will say, you know, it's not exactly healthy or it's good for the environment, but actually not. You know, so, so what's what's your take on those? Yeah, I think I probably stand somewhere in there. I think that if your stance is environmental or ethical for not eating meat they're a clear win, Mm -hmm. you know, those options are a clear win, but they have been designed to woo meat eaters. Therefore, the Beyond or the Impossible Burger are, they approximate beef. So yeah, they aren't a healthy choice. It's not making like making a lentil burger at home. They're not the kind of food that I would like to see people eating seven days a week. But most of us eat a burger knowing that it's a treat anyways. And so if, you know, you go out to a restaurant, particularly like as a plant-based eater, there were times when I couldn't get something. So I'm really excited to see in Canada, it's mostly Beyond. Like to see Beyond Meat Burger on the menu, I was like, yes, I can eat something. What's so interesting, there was an article in the Wall Street Journal a a while ago, and they they did like a deep dive on on the the explosion Mm -hmm. here and the phenomenon, if you will. And they interviewed a bunch of people around the country around Mm -hmm. the world and the way i read it was people didn't care that it was really plant-based it was more about this this cool Mm -hmm. and they weren't eating it for necessarily health reasons it was more novelty as like this was the new cool fast food that i'm going to try at burger king or mcdonald's I was like, that's so interesting. Mm-hmm. Like, that's part of the growth. Like, people view it as being cool. And I'm with you on whether it's healthy or not. But mm-hmm. I think if you're at a Burger King and you're going to have a traditional Whopper versus the Impossible Whopper, no brainer. Exactly. But if you throw a grass-fed, grass-finished burger in there, eh, Yeah. And I think what I'm most excited about, you know, particularly as a dietitian, it's like, what is the research on health? What is the research on the environmental impact? And what I'm most excited about is that we're really starting to attack these traditional norms in North America of like, what does a meal look like? Because we're at this point where it's really not sustainable to live with like these huge steaks on your plate seven days a week. And so I like that we're having that conversation. I like that companies like this because... You know, fruits and vegetables, we just don't have the budget for marketing, but companies like Beyond, like Impossible, can create this groundswell where we are talking about, like, where does our protein come from? Um, what is acceptable to us as we move forward. Like the whole lab-grown meat thing will be like another yeah. <laughs> another thing when we get there. So I do like that it is taking people who wouldn't necessarily go vegetarian or go vegan mm-hmm. and open them up to the idea that every meal doesn't actually have to have meat on it. So that's a really cool thing. No, it is. I agree. Yeah. So the topic of your, your latest must-read book is inflammation, yes. which is something that we talk a lot about at Mind Buddy Green. And, I, and I've said this before, it's kind of like this nebulous like catch-all, like inflammation, you don't want it. But <laughs> what, what is, is it? it? <laughs> so let's start there. Like, what, what is inflammation? I say you don't want it, it doesn't feel good, and there are things you should avoid and eat. But like, let's start with what is it? Yeah, and so to really understand that conversation, you have to understand that you actually do want it but only at certain times. So inflammation is essentially your immune system's first response system. So if you are in the kitchen and you cut yourself and there's redness, there's heat, you feel, you see the swelling, that is inflammation going to work. That's acute inflammation. There's a breach. The immune system patrol has sensed it. It sends all of these white blood cells to help clean up like any bacteria, anything that's in the area, begins the healing process. 
that's when it works well. And in the acute sense, once the breach has been contained, those immune cells actually kill themselves. So those immune cells shut off, they shut down, and everything goes back to a normal baseline. The challenge is with chronic inflammation, which is actually a separate pathway within the immune system. It's mediated by different cytokines or like immune messenger cells. Um, Chronic inflammation occurs when the aggressors are chronic and ongoing. So our diet, uh, our inactivity, pollution, and the big one is stress. The Mm -hmm. one that I think my clients underestimate the most is stress. So with regards to stress, how much of it do you think has to do with when we're stressed, we tend to make bad choices with regards to food versus stress itself? Yeah, you know, and we have research to show us that it's probably both, right? You know, we... When we are stressed out, we have learned because our bodies are sort of built and our minds are built to avoid discomfort. So we've learned that, you know, maybe our moms gave us ice cream when we weren't feeling well. And like we instantly reach for those foods. Um, Few people are like, I'm super stressed. I'm going to crunch through an apple or some (laughs) celery sticks. Um, So there is that part. But actually, we know the nervous system. So when there is increased cortisol in the system, it increases inflammatory response. And then the challenge is when that inflammatory response is ongoing, it actually messes with our HPA access. So what's governing our stress response and it increases cortisol. So it becomes a really vicious spiral. Inflammation goes up, your cortisol response gets altered, which ratchets up inflammation. And so when I see people who are really, truly unwell, um, it is really hard to t- like start to tease these things out, like how much of it is their stress. But sometimes with the gut, we know stress is enough to initiate a flare of Crohn's disease or ulcerative colitis, like mm-hmm. all else being great. Your diet is great. You're working out. You have a big stressor. It initiates a flare with IBS, irritable bowel syndrome. It's the same thing too. So you mentioned the gut brain connection a little earlier. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So, um, you know, I, I wish I took more like neurology courses in college. We all did. Believe oh me. yeah. Um, microbiome too. That's the big one. So I think, you know, when I learned about the gut, not so long ago, we really looked at it like a rudimentary machine, like put food in, munch it around, absorb what you need to excrete, which you don't, which is remarkable. Cause if we didn't do that, like we couldn't survive a day. Um, but in order to understand the gut-brain connection, also the inflammation-digestion connection, we have to realize that to our body, our gut is outside of us. Like we, It's encased within us, but from entrance through exit, it's actually the outside world. And because they're very specialized, delicate cells that absorb like all of our nutrients that we need to survive, it's a very fragile barrier. And so the barrier function of our gut is critical. Um, and so our immune system in all of its wisdom puts like 80% of its immune activity in and along the gut, but then the gut's also heavily innervated. Um, you know, we call it the second brain and it's Mm -hmm. for a reason. Like if we could actually take our digestive tract gently and place it outside of our body and sever the connection between our digestive tract and our brain, it would continue to operate independently of those top down signals. And I think that's the big thing that people don't realize is that, there is messaging coming from our brain to our gut. Like if we're stressed before a big presentation, you know, we end up having to run to the bathroom like five minutes before our presentation. But actually the vast majority of messaging between the brain and the gut is coming from the gut on up to the brain. Interesting. So you see people 
all over the world. What do you find that most people, like what patterns are you seeing? What trends in terms of what, what problems people are looking to solve? Yeah. Um, so, you know, a typical client for me is the person who has, I've been to the gastroenterologist and I've been to the allergist and I've been to the endocrinologist and the tests are all pretty good or maybe I got slapped with IBS, but they're in a huge amount of pain. Typically they have some sort of loss of digestive function and mental well-being, so depression and or anxiety together, always together. Um, and then like their skin will be erratic. They'll have eczema or rosacea. And so it is very much where we always used to think of these things as separate. We have to consider the whole person and the whole system because the digestive system is talking to the immune system, is talking to the nervous system. And so I start with a microbiome. I start with cleaning up their diet. We're pretty health conscious on the West Coast. So a lot of my clients are actually already very health conscious, but it might be getting their fiber up or because their gut is so irritated, taking the fiber down while maintaining their intake of like those uh, anti-inflammatory phytochemicals. And we do, we talk about stress a lot mm. and lifestyle. I know it's hard to generalize, but in your estimation, what do you see that's lacking in, in most people? And I, I mentioned lack too, like you talk about magnesium, I think of vitamins, minerals, supplements, mm -hmm. like what are you just seeing? Are there generalizations that like... It's remarkable that even for healthy people, we're not eating enough fiber, like not nearly enough fiber. And I think it's because our vision of health is is often just, you know, put some vegetables in your plate, like have some chicken, like have a little salad beside it. And we're not eating those. We're not eating the legumes. We don't know what to do with them, how to cook them. We're not eating those nuts and seeds on a regular basis. We still eat a lot of snack foods that are convenient and they might be healthier, but they're really low in fiber. So getting people's fiber up, um, because we now know that part of how fiber works is that it's fermented by the microbiome, and that actually decreases chronic inflammation all on its own. Magnesium's a big one, particularly for that gut-brain connection. There's a lot of magnesium. Well, I love magnesium because it's great for sleep, and it's also good for regularity. It is. It <laughs> is. On how much you take. Well, yeah, and the form that you take, too. And so, you know, for my constipated clients, and that is rampant, um, yeah, certain forms of magnesium are going to be better, whereas... Which ones do you like? Um, so just, like... A plain old like gluconate is absolutely fine if you're going to do the gut, um, but glycinate. Yeah, that's my favorite. Glycinate. Yeah, if you want absorption, if you want those messaging to the nervous system, actually my favorite cocktail um, to help me with sleep because I have like two kids in a business and I have pretty much haven't slept for the last decade, uh, 400 milligrams of magnesium glycinate and then 200 milligrams of L-theanine. The magnesium sure. on its own wasn't working well enough for me. I put that together and I'm sleeping like I'm 25 again. It's remarkable. That's a heavy dose of magnesium. It is, but the but the form, you absorb it. Sure. No, yeah. I love the form. I take yeah. it. I don't take as much as you though. Yeah. Uh, so with regards to, you said fiber, and regularity so led me to this next question yeah. is poop like how much should we be in your estimation like i think it's another popular topic mm -hmm. here like how often should we be pooping what form and then like to, <laughs> what form and healthy and you know just 
And I think that's a really big, you know, it's interesting. Like, I'm really excited that we're having this conversation about digestive health. I'm glad that we can say poop and not blush. The podcasts are no visuals. You know, people can paint the picture while they're listening. And it's important because (laughs) when you think of what an epidemic poor gut health is, like, it truly is an epidemic. People are suffering and it's not polite, you know, dinner conversation. So you'd have no idea that, like, maybe your best friend is going through this. Um, But then the flip side of that is we make everything a disease as well. And so there is a lot of like, what is normal? Well, I'm bloated. Well, it's normal to get like bloated a little bit after a meal. You put food in your body that takes up physical space. There's chemical reactions that are occurring that are going to bloat you a little bit and it should pass. And I think that's a big thing is I was like, the gas should pass. So it's normal to be gassy, particularly on a plant-based diet. Like, that's the other thing when people are nervous. I'm like, well, I don't eat legumes because they make me gassy. I was like, well, gas is good because gas is a sign that your GI tract is functioning, that you have bacteria in that GI tract that are fermenting and making all those short-chain fatty acids and helping to lower inflammation, and then that you're eating fiber. So we have to get used to the fact that we pass gas. That's um, a great, there's a great Portlandia episode. Oh, I haven't seen that it's one. It's like all the gas that people have at a, a vegan restaurant. It's kind of hilarious, but but it's the truth. <laughs> it's true. We we all toot, you know, the family that toots together stays together. Um, but then, yeah, I think with like bowel movements, that's a whole other thing because, especially once your gut health has sort of gone off the rails, to expect that you have this quote unquote perfect textbook like fluffy bowel movement every single day. I do believe that every single day is your minimum buy-in for gut health. Um, there's a lot of people who aren't like eliminating every day. And so that's usually my first stop before I tackle anything else. If we don't get the bowel moving every single day, we're going to have issues. One a day, bare minimum. One and a day. You're, you're agnostic in terms of shape and size. You know, yeah, it's, you know, it should be, it should be formed. It should be formed. It should be comfortable to pass. If it feels incomplete, that is a diagnostic mm-hmm. uh, criteria for constipation. Even if you do go every day, if it doesn't, doesn't feel complete, then yeah, you probably need to do something, probably more fiber. Got it. And so what are some of your favorite places to eat? You travel oh, Vancouver, one of my favorite healthy cities. I haven't been there in a while, but Vancouver is remarkable, um, and I do. I actually am that kind of person. Before I choose my hotel when I travel, I figure out the restaurants <laughs> first. I really do. So, um, like one of my favorite restaurants in New York is Dirt Candy. Sure, it's a classic. It's a it's, it's been a around classic. forever. It's a classic. Not the, exactly super healthy. It's not super healthy. <laughs> but it's, you make it's fun. It is. It's really fun. Um, I'm also a really big Matthew Kenny fan, so yeah. I typically frequent his restaurants and have you been to his new ones in new york i haven't been to the new one no he's got three of them they're right next to each other on second avenue there's the mexican concept (gasps) and then the pizza double zero the pizza is the best vegan pizza i've ever had yeah so i've been to althea in chicago i just went to that one which was absolutely delightful um he's opening one in dumbo too really yeah oh that's so cool see now i've got like all more all these other ones on my list um I'm a huge Moon Juice fan. Every Love time Amanda, I'm in, dear friend. Yeah, it is one of my favorite places. Every time I'm in LA, I go. And then in Vancouver, we have one of the most remarkable restaurants called The Acorn. It's not downtown. It's in like a residential neighborhood. It's where I used to live, actually. And it was the first fine dining Totally unpretentious, totally comfortable, but fine dining approach to like really taking plant food seriously. Mm. And it's amazing. And then we have like all the usual vegan junk food places too. (laughs) Got it. Have you been to uh, one of my favorite places is Miami, Planta. 
No. The chef's from Toronto, too. Oh, oh, no, wait. Oh, it is Planta. Yes, yeah. because I've been to Planta. Planta on Queen in Toronto is my favorite. It's the more Asian concept. Yeah. That's a remarkable restaurant. Yeah, the one on Miami's to die for. Yeah, they did like a Mapo tofu where the pork was replaced by spelt berries. And I'm absolutely stealing that idea from my recipe development. That's interesting. <laughs> that is interesting. So if you could leave everyone with one take home, what would that be in terms of taking control of their health and eating as, as well as they can? I think the most important thing, because we're bombarded with so much information, is that the first step is always single ingredient whole plant foods. When those make up the bulk of your diet, you will be healthier um, than most of us here in North America. And that is as simple as it needs to be. If you've got something else going on, it's really important not to struggle by yourself. I think this is a big thing. Like so often my clients, they've been to like everyone else and the last thing they would consider doing is going to a dietitian because they know when you see a dietitian we're going to ask you to change a little bit and that hurts mm-hmm. that can hurt for people um but get a dietitian because there's so much individualization that needs to happen because what works for you is not necessarily what's going to work for your friend even if you both have ibs for example you have to really get granular and treat the whole person and keep it simple I love it. Desiree, thanks so much. Thanks you.